Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. How prepared are you financially for the big switch from getting a regular paycheck from work to creating your own paycheck in retirement? If you're already in retirement, how is it going? Well, a recent T. Rowe Price study of baby boomers and Gen Xers with investable assets of at least $50,000 found that 47% of them feel their ideal retirement is very attainable. Another 45% say it is somewhat attainable. Other studies find similar levels of optimism about retirement, but it turns out that confidence might be misplaced. A financial literacy survey by the American College of Financial Services the nation's largest nonprofit educational institution devoted to financial services, found that financial literacy about retirement planning is poor, even among the more affluent. In its survey of individuals between the ages of 60 and 75, with household assets of at least $100,000, excluding their primary residence, only 20% scored 61% or better in a basic financial literacy test. That means 80% had failing grades. The survey covered topics such as ability to maintain lifestyle, life expectancy, income generation, social security, and company-sponsored retirement plans. And it's not just individuals who need to be educated. The American College of Financial Services has created a new program and certification for financial advisors called the Retirement Income Certified Professional Designation, or RICP, which specializes in retirement income planning because this is a relatively new territory for professionals, too. Our two guests are involved in that effort. Jamie Hopkins is one of the creators of the RICP curriculum. He is a chair in insurance and investments at the college, is an associate professor of taxation there, and is co-director of its Center for Retirement Income. Investment News named him one of the top 40 financial service professionals under the age of 40. Stephen Earhart is the owner of the financial advisory firm Devon Financial Partners. He earned the Retirement Income Certified Professional designation, as well as several other professional credentials, including Certified Financial Planner and Master of Science in Financial Services. Several years ago, he was recognized as a 40 under 40 by the Philadelphia Business Journal. Both guests say the biggest financial challenge for the 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day until 2030, and their advisors is transitioning from accumulating assets to turning those assets into income. They say it takes a completely different mindset. There's definitely a mindset. Yeah. They have to switch the switch. Right. You know, we've, been, we've been programmed to think accumulation, accumulation, accumulation. You know, we see the commercials. We've all seen the commercials. What's your number? Here's your path to your number. And to go from that to your nest egg, now we have to think about it as an income stream, an income right. stream that's going to replace your salary when you step off in retirement. And it's going to replace it, hopefully, for the rest of your life. So it's a completely a, a different mentality. You're working, you're working, and then you step off. Now, where's my check? Right. So 
So it's, that's a big transition. <laughs> it is a transition. Knowledge is power. And it, and it turns out I looked at some of the surveys that you've done, uh, Jamie, at the American College, yeah. and, and it, it, essentially the financial literacy is pathetic among you know, pre-retirees and retirees. But the more financial literate you are, the better you do in retirement. So Social Security, very important part of retirement. So what do we need to know about Social Security? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing for retirees or if you're close to retirement today is that Social Security is going to be there for you in some form or another. Right. We hear a lot of concern about that, but it's not going to go away completely. Why? Well, about one third of the country, that's their only income source in retirement. About two thirds of the country, it's more than half their income. And so Social Security is kind of the, the, our floor, as we call it, in income plan, where it's going to provide us some level of money that we can rely on. It's going to show up each month. And it's protected against inflation. In retirement, inflation on a daily basis or monthly basis, yearly basis matters. Because if you have a set stream of income over 30 years, it, you know, if you don't have that inflation protected, it's going to be worth less than half of what it was when you started. Right. And so how do you get by then? Well, you need inflation-adjusted assets there, income streams that are going to deal with that risk. And Steve, you, you talked about you know, suddenly in the decumulation phase, you need to think about income that lasts a lifetime. Well, Social Security is one source of income that sure, hopefully is. will last a lifetime. So what do you tell your clients about Social Security? You know, the optimal strategy now is to delay it as long as possible, mm -hmm. if, if you're healthy. If there are health issues, that's another, another story. But if, if you're healthy and your spouse is healthy, you should delay it as long as possible, typically age 70. Right. You'll get a good bump in, in the monthly payments and as you said earlier, you can't outlive that. The decumulation phase, uh, Steve, 4% used to be the golden rule of withdrawal in order to you know, maintain an, an income stream for a lifetime. If you right. went above that, you were in jeopardy. Um, is that still the case, 4% of whatever your nest egg is? No, and that's part of that ah. traditional thinking right. and conventional thinking. And 4% really is, is, is pushing the envelope. And it's too much. It's too much. Oh, man. It's too much. Okay. So, you know, we try to look at it, it closer to three. And it also depends on what kind of income floor you have, what other guarantees you might have coming in, right. Social Security benefits. But you really have to be careful with anything north of 3%. Why is that? Why can't you take 4% anymore? Well, or why people, is it are li people are living, living longer. Living longer. Right? Yep. That, that's really the key. That makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, portfolio mix. People used to do the 60-40 thing, 60% equities, 40% in mm -hmm. bonds. Uh, what, what is it now? Or is there any such animal? I wouldn't really say there's a perfect portfolio mix in general, because it's going to depend, as we, Steve just talked about, the, how long you want to make this money last for. Right. Well, all of a sudden, if we start testing this, and you know, a 50-50 split or, you know, 40% bonds, 60% stocks, or then 70% stocks, 30% bonds. Well, we're going to have more potential upside as we move up that ladder and, and put more equities, more risk into our portfolio. But that's exactly what we're doing. We're also increasing the risk. So there's a, a higher likelihood that maybe the worst case scenario happens and we lose our funds. So we have to balance that. Now, what we have seen here, the old rule of thumb used to be that you want to have this constant decline in stocks to bonds. So you're going to increase your bonds over time. Right. And right? I remember, you know, Jack Bogle, who the mm -hmm. founder of Vanguard, telling me on this program that, you know, Consuelo, well, you know, that your bond position should equal your age. So if I'm 80, yeah. I should have 80% bonds in my portfolio. Yep. 
and recently, you know, and, 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 and you know, he, he'll probably see this at some point and say, Jamie, you know, uh, wh- why are you talking about this? But what we've seen is a big change there. The research really doesn't support that anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what we've seen is a, a much more steady allocation works better in the long run. So it, it means that we don't use that old, you know, 100 minus your age to get your right. stock. We actually stay more level. So it's going to be closer to maybe a 50-50 or 60-40 mix throughout retirement, except for there is a time when we're going to lower it. Right. The kind of five years right before and right after retirement. And that's a big reason why you hear the 4%. You say, why can I only withdraw 4% of my assets? I'm going to average 8% through retirement. You might average 8% and you can still only draw four. Why? Because it's the sequencing of your returns that really matters. And that's a hard concept for people to grasp And initially. sequencing means Se- what? Sequencing of returns means it matters where you get your returns. So if I have bad returns in the first five, six years of retirement, the first year market drops 30%. And I have to pull money out of that. All right, of a 2009. sudden, yep, right. exactly. I'm pulling a large amount uh, as a percentage, a very large withdrawal out, which makes it 8% is not sustainable. Even though you might average 8% through retirement, you can only withdraw 4 to make it sustainable. And it's because of those bad returns early in retirement right. that causes that. We don't care about sequence of returns in the accumulation phase. It doesn't matter. If you average 8%, no matter what your yearly returns are, you average 8, someone else averages 8, you get the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. In retirement, you have two people that average 8%. One person could run out of money early in retirement. Right. Someone else could run out later. What's the biggest challenge, Steve, when you're talking to clients about the, their, the decumulation phase? What, what's the biggest hurdle that you have to overcome with them in your planning? Oh, I guess accepting the fact that they're going to retire and yep. that paycheck's going to stop. And then really having concrete numbers as of what does their retirement look like. Right. And, you know, we try to get drilled down for what 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 are they what does their ideal retirement look like? Mm-hmm. What what kind of guaranteed income streams do they have coming in, if any? And what kind of income overall mm-hmm. do they need? So sometimes there's a disconnect between current lifestyle and a lifestyle yes. that their nest egg will actually be able to provide. So it's 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 coaching them through that and managing the expectations of that. In addition to your savings that, that you have, your traditional savings, the stocks and bonds that we were just talking about, you've got to think of other assets, of how to use other assets that you might have. And one of them was your home. Mm-hmm. To see that as a source of income? There, there are a couple different options yeah. to use your home. Um, it, it could be a safety net. You know, have a home equity loan in case there's maybe a medical expense mm-hmm. or you need to tap for some additional income or cash flow. Reverse mortgages are getting a lot more traction now. I know. So tell me about that, because I, you know, I remember 20 years ago, reverse mortgages, that was the last thing you wanted to do. So what about reverse mortgages? Who should consider them? And how do they work? How well, would that work? I, I, I personally think that they're a last resort still. Oh, you do? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I disagree with him on this one. So we got different okay. opinions. All right. Well, Steve <laughs> first. All right. And the right answer first. And, <laughs> and I just think that, that that should be safe for... Um, the house is, is an asset. Right. One. And to tap into reverse mortgage when you maybe you don't have to, mm-hmm. I just think that starts a chain of events. Right. Now, if someone's never going to move um, and they absolutely need income, then I think it makes total sense. Right. So I can see that because otherwise you've got this asset 
you can sell it. You've, you can add to your nest egg with whatever you can make in the house. And if you're downsizing, go to assisted living. You've got more options, right, if you don't do the reverse mortgage right. route. That's what it sounds like. Yes. But you disagree with that? Yeah. And Jamie? so we've, uh, <laughs> for the last couple of years, we, and we both agree on the first part, which is housing has to be considered. It's America's okay. largest asset. Right. Right. It's more than the stocks and bonds. Now, how do you the, monetize that? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, as he said, a line of credit is one. And just use a straight line of credit. And there's some downsides to that. They can get canceled and, and things like that. So it might not necessarily be there when you need it. Now, the reverse mortgage, they've changed a lot. It's not the reverse mortgage of 10 years ago. Right. Uh, the regulations in about the last two years have significantly changed the product, brought some of the costs down. They were a very expensive product. But what you see is if you incorporate this as part of portfolio management, that, and I'll give a very simple mm-hmm. example here, is stock market, go back to 2009, and we're withdrawing money from that portfolio to meet our needs, and it drops 30 or 40%. Do I want to take money out of my portfolio when it's down 40% or borrow from my house at 4, 4.5, 5%? Actually, that's a very easy decision. Right. Um, The math, you'll never convince me otherwise the math is better. Which you'd go along with Steve in that case, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea with reverse mortgages today is if you're willing to age in place, you want to live in your house, which most Americans do, that you set up the reverse mortgage early, that line of credit. Now, you don't tap into it. I'm not encouraging one to go age 62, go and pull it all out, but it's just set it up so it's there. So if the market drops, you already have it set up, and you can now use that asset instead of your stocks. Mm-hmm. The other thing is you can pay it back, and you can pay it back just like a traditional mortgage, and the interest is even deductible, just like a traditional mortgage. So we actually have people and financial planners using this now and really just treating it as what we say is a non-market correlated asset that we set up the reverse mortgage, we only draw from it in years after the, the markets went down. And in some cases, that might be the first three years of retirement because that's actually the biggest risk period. Right. So there's other strategies. Some people hold bonds, and they use that purely for the first couple years or cash set aside. But this can be another option for kind of that cash buffer strategy for the first couple years in retirement. Another non-traditional asset for, for many Americans is annuities. They got a bad... Uh, rep at one point as well. But now, what do you think? I, I think annuities are a great tool. And, and what the kind right, of annuities? The right place. Right. Well, they're, they're different kinds, but primarily in the retirement income space. I, I th- right. I think that to provide that floor, the income annuities are, are key. And it, number one, you can't outlive the annuity. So you've taken that longevity risk off mm-hmm, the table. Mm-hmm. Um, the the fact that you can have guarantees coming in, income coming in, takes the stress off the other assets you have right. and frees up potential cash. And I think that, that you know, a lot of people use, you mentioned bonds, bond laddering. Mm-hmm. And with bond laddering, what are you doing? You're spending principal and interest. Mm-hmm. With an income annuity, you're spending principal, interest, and mortality credits mm-hmm. or mortality yield, which is the, the surplus from the, those who don't live long Right. To those who do live long, and that gives you that added income. That's the added income. Yes. So, it's more. It's not as much about the interest rate you're getting. It's more about the, the mortality credits, and it's not really what an annuity is. It's what an annuity does. Mm-hmm. So again, lifetime income, guaranteed, 
no matter how long you live. And, and, and when do you do an immediate annuity? I mean, when do you do a deferred income annuity? It depends on the, the, the circumstances right. of, of the case, but I think they both have a useful place in, in retirement planning. Mm -hmm. You have the right income floor, and then you can structure deferred income annuity to kick in sometime down the road, which if you know you have that guaranteed down the road, right. coming in, additional income, it frees up the assets today to do some things with. What's the, uh, the, the one that kicks in at 85? The QLAC, Qualified Longevity Annuity contract. All right, so tell me about the QLAC. Yeah, so the QLAC is actually a new type of mm -hmm. annuity. So they haven't been around a long time in the specific form that they exist today. And you can put them inside of your IRA or your 401k plan, and that's where our money is. So that's where we want to be able to buy these things. And the idea is you can turn them on at 85. You could turn it on at 80, you could turn it on at 75, but you can't go past 85. So that's the latest that will let this income kind of turn on for you. Now, one of the benefits of it is the principal that you pay to get that annuity is excluded from required minimum distributions when you hit age 70. So there are a lot of people that say, I don't want to spend this money. I don't want to have to take it out of my IRA right. when I hit 70. So you can take a portion of that, sit it aside for income starting at 80, 85. And the other thing it does is it really – you get pretty good, as you're thinking about as returns, pretty good returns there for you know, safe income. Mm -hmm. And it kind of takes off some of that longevity risk that you have that you're going to outlive your portfolio and your money. Now, if you, you know, and then somebody always says, well, what if I die early? No, exactly. Right? I, mean, That's I can <laughs> hear the objection. Yeah. yeah. What if I die early? Well, they do come with return of premium riders, so you get all the money you put in back. Right. Uh, Long-term care insurance, is that an important part of the discussion? It is. Steve, it's it's, is, is it's, it's yeah. absolutely a necessary part of the discussion. It is? Um, uh -huh. you know, they're going to pay for it one way or the other. Right. So you, know, you have to discuss it, and they should have some type of plan. Right. And, and obviously not having a plan is also a plan, but they should include family in whatever, whatever their plans are. Right. But um, are the policies, at one point they had gotten very expensive. A lot of insurance companies were withdrawing from the market at, are they a viable option now to it, actually get a long-term care insurance they, policy? They are. I mean, are the, they, market, yeah. the market has dried up a bit. Policies have, have been uh, – benefits provided by the policies have been reduced. Typically, now you can only get a five-year benefit where a couple of years ago you could, you could get lifetime. Right. Um, now we have additional products coming out that are blended products, maybe a life insurance policy with a long-term care rider or an annuity with a long-term care benefit. So there are some other tools you can use, but it's, it's a tough market now. And, Jamie, let me go back to something that we had talked about um, a little bit earlier. You wrote an article about some of the myths um, of retirement planning. And um, one is that you should keep buying more bonds as you get older. You have a different strategy, which is to reduce your stock positions in your mm -hmm. portfolio before you retire and increase the stock positions in retirement. Can you explain that strategy? Yeah, so it, it kind of looks like this dip, right, where you've got your assets, and all of a sudden it drops down, and then you're going to go back up. But uh, I'm not saying it's you're, you're going to go back up to 100%, but right around retirement, and I'm talking, again, the first five years before, five years after you retire, that right before retirement, it is beneficial to maybe lock in some of those gains that you have. And say, you know a what? year or two before retirement? or Actually, how soon? you could even go to five. Five years. Yeah, between that kind of five-year time frame in there, I think that's a, a safe range to say, you know what, I have enough money, 
but maybe just barely enough to get through right. retirement. And That's when you're most vulnerable, It right? is. Okay. So at that point, maybe I'm safer just taking that risk off the table for five years and then starting to increase that as the bonds, I can put some of them back into the stock once I'm a couple years into retirement. Now, if the first couple years of retirement go very poorly, that the stocks drop, well, one, it might be a good time to buy, but also it might be you know, not a good time to be selling more of your stock. So you actually might see kind of that the stock staying there and your bonds being spent down. So you might drop a little bit further, but then hopefully you can get back in and increase that position again. But that's really the strategy. And it's, it's about avoiding these bad years right around retirement. Right. They're what they're, that's what wipes out the portfolio. It's that and longevity. Those are really our two big risks. And then, you know, we've got other ones in there, but those two, they can just destroy a portfolio and a retiree's savings. And very quickly, too, if we don't plan well around them. What would your advice be to clients as far as that kind of dangerous five-year-before-retirement period when you're particularly vulnerable? We, we typically like them to have a good liquid cash position mm-hmm. or liquid asset position. whether it be cash. Uh, we talked about the home equity loan. So if there is a turn down in the market, they don't have to sell their stocks at a discount, that they can ride it out. Some studies have shown that actually having a written plan uh, makes you better prepared for retirement, for a successful retirement. So do you, when your clients come to you, I mean, do you sit down and kind of write the plan with them, go over I think absolutely something in writing is, is the best approach. Yeah. And, and, what, and why is that? Is it because the process... Well, it's, helps the client or it's not just the process i think it's it's psychologically they, they buy in more and it's something you can monitor it's mm-hmm. in writing you can you can check year to year say where are we how do we have to modify it versus just a conversation it's tough to to monitor that right on top of it the one question i ask um every guest on wealth track at the end of our an interview is if there's one investment we should all make for a long-term diversified portfolio, what would it be? And in this case, I would, would ask each of you if there's you know, one thing we should do or one investment we should make to have a successful retirement, what would it be? I would say structure some time of a guaranteed income, something that cover an income stream that'll cover whatever your fixed expenses are for the rest of your life. And what might that be? In addition to Social in Security. It, it, it could be an annuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, strategy, but whatever it is, some kind of a guaranteed income, so you have that floor regardless of what happens. Right. Jamie, what would yours be? I think one of the things we need to look at is having tax diversification. We didn't talk a whole lot about taxes here, but taxes eat into our income. In retirement, Social Security is taxable. Now, what should we do? We need to have Roth assets also. So that's a Roth IRA or Roth 401k. And that causes us to do something we don't want to do up front is pay taxes earlier. We've lived our whole life saying, hey, how can I not pay taxes? It can be a good thing to pay taxes when it comes to retirement planning, right? Convert assets to a Roth account when you near retirement. That's a great strategy for people and can really help them manage their portfolio for a much longer period of time. So when you're near retirement, convert your normal IRAs into a Roth. Yeah. Because the income coming out of a Roth Mm -hmm. is not taxed. Correct. So as we near retirement or just in retirement, our income levels might drop, which means what? Lower taxes. That gives us an opportunity to convert some money, pay taxes on our IRA at a lower tax rate. 
because that's really when we want to do it. We mm -hmm. want to pay it when our income drops, so we can convert that over. And then we have this new source of income that is not subject to required minimum distributions at 70, so we have more control over it, and it doesn't show up as taxable income. And actually, doing that, we can even keep Medicare costs down. Our premiums are impacted by our income, and Social Security taxes are impacted by income. So by withdrawing from Roth accounts, we can help manage our, the taxability of our other accounts, too. So we're going to have to leave it there. This conversation could go on <laughs> for many, many more hours, and which is why you have a, a, a curriculum and the RICP certification in which uh, you do that. So Jamie Hopkins, thank you so much for joining us on Wealth Track, And Steve Earhart, thank you so much for being here as well. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is develop an alternative retirement income source to tap in the event of a significant market decline. As our guest pointed out, you might want to use other sources of income to avoid drawing down your investments during bear markets. Some alternatives you can do in advance involving your home are setting up a home equity line of credit or a reverse mortgage line of credit when conditions are favorable to use when they are not. You might never have to use them. You can pay them back if you do. The point is they are there when you need them. I hope you can join us next week for a rare interview with legendary value investor Bill Miller. Where is he finding bargains now? And for more of our interview with Jamie Hopkins and Stephen Earhart, please go to our website and click on the extra feature. And keep reaching out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective, Rosalind P. Walter, and the Fairholme Foundation.